Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды, да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоню наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которая очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови завета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество, все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег, могущество Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, веди его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться.
Второе послание апостола Павла Коринфянам. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. This is one of the places of Scripture that talks about the exchange that God makes on the cross in the face of His Son. On the cross, Jesus took our shame and poverty that was present in all spheres of our life. He took upon our shame, our poverty, illnesses, and so forth. He was completely robbed, brought to complete poverty, and completely left with nothing, so that we could receive access to His glorified abundance in all spheres of our life. But for this exchange to gain power, it was necessary for God to be able to have access to our means through our honoring Him expressed in tithes and offerings, in our cheerful offering of tithes and offerings. The whole essence of divine exchange made on the cross is, comp is comprised of the fact that the blessing of this exchange does not depend on our efforts or the measure of our income. Any kind of work that we do must be accepted as the opportunity to fulfill our vocation, to fulfill our calling. God is a laborer, and with this, God does not favor toward those who try to gain money by winning or those who are lazy, who try to earn money by way of winning it, rather than using their energy and efforts. Second, any kind of work must be done from the soul as to the Lord. Then it is going to represent the interests of God and form our inner peace and the image and likeness of God. Third, it's necessary to not moan or groan, but to thank God for any measure of income, to be grateful for what we have. Because thanksgiving or gratitude opens to us the opportunities of the unique and most valuable investment for us. And then one coin for our daily provision can bring income much greater than millions that are brought abundantly. But the children of God don't believe it. They say, yes, it's written like that in the Bible, but... If they begin to fulfill God's decrees, they're going to be able to see that one coin is able to bring more income than millions. Fourth, it's necessary to be faithful in little, which means to live according to what we have. For this, it's necessary to lay our hope in God and ask Him for wisdom. And then our harvest or our income is not beyond mountains. And let's not forget that God's principle is the same and unchanging. The more we give in His belonging, the more we will receive as our belonging. That which we are supposed to receive in our belonging are the new heaven and the new earth. I have said many times that each time a person gets ready to move to another country. What does he try to do? He tries to exchange the currency of that country to the currency of another country because he understands that if he comes into this country and he does not have anything, what is he going to do there? All of us strive toward heaven and no one understands the meaning. You're not exchanging any currency. How do you think about existing there? Or do you think, oh, we've come we've come there now. Our, our, we're going to be served by servants. 
this will not be and this never was and never will be. This is going to be a unique heaven and earth that is going to be comprised of those people who had exchanged their belongings, their currency into another, uh, another currency. And the more this currency will be, the more it will be exchanged, the brighter and the more colorful will be eternal life. Just like on this earth, those people who have more belongings, they live better. Those who have less, they live, they live not as not as well off. But God doesn't look at when we the the measure the amount that we exchange, but he is based on the fact that goes based off the fact that one coin can be millions in the eyes of God. Everything depends on your heart, how you offer it to God. They brought abundantly, but this woman gave all her one coin, her daily provisions. We'll put it that way. In the world exists. There exists the heavenly bank, the branches of which are found on earth in the face of local churches that comprise one body of Jesus Christ on earth or his sovereign kingdom. It is our means that are placed into this bank that are transformed into the blessings of an unearthly order that release the power of God in all spheres of our life. They don't just go there, but here on earth they unleash the blessings in all spheres of our life. The curse of poverty is never lonely. Its unchanging companions is not just hunger, but also illnesses, the destruction of relationships with our neighbors, as well as, as, as dishonor. Many children of God remain under the curse of poverty because, according to their unbelief and their disobedience, instead of bringing into the church, they use all kinds of things to take away from it. In doing so, first they are thieves because they attribute to themselves that which belongs to God but is found in their, in their control or their care. Second, instead of demonstrating love to God, they demonstrate to Him their hatred or their discontent. And third, by withholding their tithes and offerings in doing so, they refuse to honor His authority. And fourth, by withholding their tithes and offerings, they close for themselves the entrance into the courts of the Lord. By being found in the church, they are found outside of it. God will not give the opportunity to hear that blessed word, that seed that having formed into fruit will bring the children of God into the kingdom of heaven. First it will create the kingdom of heaven there inside and then it will create the new heaven and earth for them. These people, despite the fact that they're going to be present in one and the same church, they are going to be outside of it because the the courts of God is a kind of unearthly dimension where those who honor God with tithes and offerings can be found. It's written, bring gifts into his courts, worship God, worship toward God without correct and necessary honoring of God with tithes and offerings, loses its purpose, and God does not accept this kind of prayer or this kind of worship. And now imagine for yourselves, millions of saints not taught about honoring God with tithes and offerings. On the contrary, they're taught that tithes and offerings is so-called a part of the Old Testament 
Although they could themselves read Hebrews chapter 6, here in the New Testament, Apostle Paul writes, or in the Old Testament, he makes a comparison between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He says in the New Testament, those have immortality participate. The New Testament never abolished tithes. Why? Because tithes were not a product of the Old Testament. They existed before the Old Testament. They found a place in the Old Testament and will continue. They found their expression, expression in Edom and the tree of knowledge of good and evil which Adam had planted along with God. Because after God had created man, God couldn't do anything without Adam, without man. With his word, he bound himself that he now can't penetrate this earth and communicate with man without his agreement or without his partaking. He said, we're going to create man in our likeness, in our image, and let him have dominion on earth. In other words, he created man sovereign on earth, just as he is sovereign in heaven. And now, in order for God to do something on earth, it's necessary to enlighten man in this so that he agrees to cooperate with the will of God. For the Garden of Eden was created after God had already created Adam and Eve, and therefore, the planting of the Garden of Eden is the cooperation, the mutual cooperation between man and God. For Eden, where God communicated with man, today is our heart. It's viewed as our heart. It symbolizes our heart. We, cooperating with the truth of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, who reveals the truth in the heart, are called to plant this Eden, to make this Eden so that God could come and rest in this Eden, communicate with us. And in this Eden, there must be the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Only God can define what is good and what is evil. Only God can define what is good and what is evil. But when a person tries to define what is good and what is evil, apart from the revelations of God, he dares to encroach on what is holy unto God. God has made this hallow the equivalent of our income, where we lay our, where we put in our energy. We put in our energy, we earn it. This is the Lord's, but we do earn it. This means we should understand that tithes were there. This was the main foundation. This was the commandment upon which was founded all worship to God. Only after this did God say, you can eat of every tree of the garden under the condition that this tree is going to be hallowed. Do not encroach upon it. Of course, the time comes when God is going to unite his children with this holiness so that they can be in the likeness of him. Remember, the priests ate of this hallow. The priests ate of this hallow. This means that God is going to bring us to a point where we are going to be able to eat of his hallow. We're not talking about tithes and offerings necessarily, but what stands behind it. We're going to begin to define what is good and evil according to revelation from God. Because today, many people consider good as evil and evil as good. They evangelize, having been sent by themselves or having sent themselves or by those who have no right to send them to evangelism. This is great evil. This is great evil when you send yourselves. When you ignore God, how is it possible to preach without being sent? God sent me. How did he send you? God sends people 
through a double revelation. This double revelation is comprised of this. It belongs to the person himself whom God sends and the apostle who is going to send him. Who, who is in charge or who is the head over the church separate to me Barnabas and Saul for this service Saul already had this revelation he carried it for a span of 10 years why didn't he go then to preach to preach the gospel to evangelize why did he remain in Antioch for close to 10 years why because he waited when he would be sent by the person upon whom was the anointing of God. And then the Holy Spirit turns to these people who are in charge or who are the head of the church and he says, separate to me these two men to the service that I have prepared for them. And they, having prayed with fast and prayer, a three-day fast and prayer, they perhaps understood that a three-day fast made by the whole church is not, not something done so easily to lead, a per, to lead a church into this. Because what Barnabas and Saul will do will go upon the whole church. The whole church is going to share in what God is going to do to Barnabas and Saul. The whole church will share in this. But here, outside of the church and without the church, people go and preach. They themselves go, and their pastors then will bless them after they have already left. These pastors are not worthy, and these are workers that are not worthy. They consider this good, but this is great evil in the eyes of God. And with this good, they're going to boast about it. And when they're going to go to perdition, they're going to try and prove to God that this was good. How, Lord, how do you not notice us? We cast out demons in your name. We did many wonders in your name. And you taught us in our streets. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You were not on the right streets. I only have one street that goes along Jerusalem. And there is the river of life. And there is the tree of life, bringing its fruit 12 times. This is my, my street. Your streets are every church that is independent of the word. And if they create unions, still they remain outside. And this is a crime before God, and it's a sin. We're going to honor God with tithes and offerings, with joy and gladness, and we're going to sing together. And the song is called Only in the Lord My Soul Shall Rest. And let us remember that each time we do honor God with tithes and offerings, we express our love toward Him, and we acknowledge his authority over us. We open the doors into the blessings of God that are going to come upon all spheres of our life, here and in the future, in heaven. Let us stand together and let us worship God. And I will gladly remind you that each time when Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, either in the tabernacle of Moses or the temple of Solomon, they were called to, according to the words of Moses that he had received as a revelation from God, to raise their hands over their offerings before the face of the Lord and to proclaim one unique proclamation that they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel tied to that same root, drinking from the same tree will do the same thing. Please raise your right hands, a symbol of your righteous act, over your offerings, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home 
so that your home may have food. I do not give impurely. I do not give in sorrow. I do not give for the dead. I rejoice that I have the privilege to express my love and to acknowledge your authority. And according to your word, I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and may your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Yeah.
Итак, если у кого из вас so, есть Библия, вы можете открыть знакомое для вас место священного Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Return to the Ancient Path of Goodness or Finding the Ancient Path of Goodness. For anyone who has not heard of or known of the existence of the ancient path of good, their sermon will not be a return but a discovery of the ancient path of goodness. Because to find the ancient path of good is to find the narrow gates or to accept the kingdom of heaven contained in the teaching of Jesus into your heart. And the kingdom of heaven in the teaching of Jesus is known by such ethereal qualities as righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In one of his parables, Jesus compared finding the ancient path of goodness, the kingdom of heaven, to finding a precious gem for which a person is ready to sell everything he has to buy the field that it's in. And for those who have already heard about the reigning teaching of Jesus Christ, which he gave to us in the form of the teaching of the kingdom of heaven, to return to the ancient path of goodness means to remember what we left and the place from which we fell, because to return to the ancient path means that we have already been on it before and then, somehow, had walked away from it. Revelation 2, 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have followed, repent and do your first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Our first love for God are when God and His will are the primary objects we seek and worship in relation to all of His other commandments. Matthew chapter 22 verses 35 through 40 says, Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. According to the words of Christ, only a few find the ancient path of goodness and the narrow gates. But for those who knew the, path, the perfect path and left it because of their arrogance, it will be impossible to return to this path. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and dead faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment 
And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. In these four teachings, the doctrine of baptism, the doctrine of laying on of hands, the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, and the doctrine of eternal judgment, that lay as a foundation of the ancient path of goodness that is found in the wonderful teaching of Christ, each of these doctrines possess a trifold nature, adding to twelve. We will look at these twelve teachings alongside the twelve precious stones, which make the foundation of the wall in the New Jerusalem, having twelve names engraved. Therefore, we will take a prefatory look at the order in which these stones were placed. Revelation chapter 21 verses 10 through 15. He carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel, three gates on the east three gates on the north, three on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. And obviously this is the gold reed that, this me that measures the city. These are the teachings of Jesus Christ. Only by them we can measure and define, is this the New Jerusalem or is this Babylon, the great harlot, the mother of all transgressions? The placement of the twelve, great, uh, twelve gates of Jerusalem and twelve foundations of its wall, representing the saints who make up the bride of the Lamb, very accurately reproduce the structure of the ancient path of good found in the twelve base teachings of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. And the twelve angels placed to guard the twelve gates, named after the sons of Jacob, are the watchmen of the ancient path of goodness who, thanks to their spiritual connection to the faith of Abraham, belong to that first pleiad of twelve guards that we have already talked about previously. Neither the first pleiad of guards nor the second, the sons of Jacob, had any relation to the law of Moses. And so the three gates on the east represent the doctrine of eternal judgment in three ascending levels of God's will, good, acceptable, and perfect. The three gates of the north represent the doctrine of baptisms with the three intertwining teachings of water baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of fire, and baptism of water. The three gates on the south represent the doctrine of laying on of hands, made up of three ascending interrelated covenants, the covenant of blood, the covenant of salt, and the covenant of rest or the covenant of peace. Three gates on the west represent the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, with three increasing and interdependent births from above, birth from water, birth from the spirit, and birth to the throne. 
The walls of the New Jerusalem, built on twelve foundations, guarded by the twelve apostles of Christ, symbolize the maturity of the Bride of the Lamb, robed in the garments of the twelve reigning teachings of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh. This maturity, as we have remarked before, is characterized by the ability to hear and smell in the fourth dimension. The twelve apostles are the third pleiad that guards the old path of good or the ancient path of goodness, called to lead to rest only those who are ready to put on the glory of the twelve foundations of the wall of the New Jerusalem. This third pleiad of watchmen, because of its closeness to the faith of Abraham, has primacy over the first and second pleiads guarding the ancient path of goodness. And although it is reflected in the shadows and images of the law of Moses, it is, inner, it is independent from it. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19-22 Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Without the guards who belong to the order of twelve, who also define the order and infrastructure of the kingdom of heaven, it is impossible to assimilate these twelve foundational truths. Consequently, without them, it will be impossible to build out of ourselves a spiritual house and a holy elect, in the form of an altar of the Lord made of twelve unhewn stones, where we can bring offerings acceptable to God. Second Corinthians chapter 1 1, verses 19 and 20. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanus, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Pay attention here, we have numerously looked at this place of scripture that none of the promises of God can be accepted by the children of God on their own, or those who have established themselves in the church. We can only gain these promises through those whom God has established in the church. Jesus said to them again, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you, he said in relation to the apostles. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. In order to escape establishment over ourselves of false teachers and apostles as guardians of the ancient path of goodness, we must be able to test the spirits under whose influence people testify the true gospel of Jesus as well as false gospels. To do this, we must look at the true definition and purpose of every teaching separately, without violating its interdependence with other foundational teachings. Because the anointing in every person born again from God can tell us who is a deceiver and who is not. Only if we are already educated about the nature of the reigning teaching of Christ. 
If we don't know the teaching of Jesus Christ, the anointing that is in us is unable to teach us who is from God and who is not from God. We're not going to be able to do so because this is the golden reed. With this, we must test the spirits in men. Who, who come and who uh, preach to us. If we don't know the teaching of Jesus Christ who came in the flesh, we're not going to be able to use the anointing that God has placed in us. For it to be enacted, to test who is from God and who is not from God, it's necessary to know this truth. This is what John writes in 1 John chapter 2, verses 18-27. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so Antichrist meaning he is against Christ because he portrays himself as Christ, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Where did these Antichrists come from? They went out from us, but they were not of us. They are here among us, and they came out from us, but they were not ours. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they may be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. This doesn't mean that anointing will teach you all things. It will teach you who is a deceiver and who is not. But he who is not a deceiver, but a true apostle, he's going to teach you. And anointing in you is going to teach you who is the deceiver and who is not. Anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all these things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. So, who you are called to submit to, who you are called to listen to. The spiritual food the Apostle Paul called the elementary principles of Christ is not spiritual milk, because he writes that anyone who receives nourishment from milk is not literate in the word of truth found in the reigning teaching of Christ. The word of truth is the ancient teaching of redemption whose wellsprings are in the paradise that was lost and returned in which a person receives redemption as a gift of God's grace thanks to which he is able to practice righteousness when he is affirming the judgments of God. Constantly, anyone who drinks anyone who drinks milk does not truly know God. Because of this, he is not only unable to pass through the narrow gates, but he is unable to even see them. There are only babes who drink milk and proclaim that we must love everybody and have relations with everyone. The babe who drinks milk thereby exposes himself to evil company, trying to reform them while treating good company with aversion and suspicion. What happens, a problem arises when they encounter preachers of a truth they cannot understand because of their carnal nature and consider it madness. When before they preached that one must love everyone, now they must place the preachers of truth outside the law.
Отрезвитесь, как должны не грешить, ибо к стыду вашему Его компании corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak to this to your shame. Those who say we must love everyone, we must communicate with everyone. Apostle Paul says these people do not know God. And Scripture tells us that to be redeemed from the slavery of sin and death and afterwards enter into God's rest through the teachings of Christ that flow out of the ancient path of goodness, we must, after repenting, put on the armor of light in the form of the truths that reveal the purpose and powers of Christ's supreme teaching. Looking at the order of the foundations in the wall of the New Jerusalem, we see that the doctrine of baptisms in the form of water baptism is the first foundation. In the tabernacle itself, the doctrine of baptisms rests in the direction of north. It is on the north side of the tabernacle that the gold table of bread offering stood, proclaiming the death of Christ. You shall set the table outside the veil and the lampstand across from the table on the side of the tabernacle toward the south. You shall put the table on the north side. Exodus 26:35. By proclaiming the death of Christ, the twelve loaves testified that the one who had power over death lost his power. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. In this way, the doctrine of baptisms is a doctrine of the deprivation of the one who had power over death, that is, the devil of his power. And a person experiences this triumph when they accept water baptism through their faith that Jesus is Christ. It's worth noting that the person who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a person born of God. Therefore, only a person born from God can accept water baptism. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him, who begot also, loves him, who is begotten of him. Scripture tells us that the doctrine of baptisms in the form of the twelve loaves, together with the blood of Christ, makes up two immutable objects which were carried to the veil of the tabernacle, through which God wanted to demonstrate to the heirs of his promise the immovability of his will. Thanks to these two things contained in the doctrine of baptisms, we have a sure confidence, because these two things found in the doctrine of baptisms are meant to be our hope and a strong, safe anchor amid the stormy turmoil of death. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 17 to 20. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, in which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus had entered with his blood and with these twelve breads that the doctrine of baptisms and water baptisms partially are the root out of which all the following doctrines grow. That is why Satan has attacked this teaching especially because the contents of the doctrine of water baptism, active in the north, contain the location 
of the throne of God. It's not on any other direction. It's on the north. The throne of God is on the north side. Isaiah 14, verses 13 through 15. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Interesting. Even the actual North Pole has emptiness. There's no stars there. Physical North side, um, most astrologists know this, that it has emptiness. And from this emptiness, uh, however, come the northern lights and this 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 phenomenon that occurs uh, this phenomenon that occurs brings a lot of people to astonishment because they don't understand that how there being not much lights in the sky in the north side do these northern lights where do they come from when i've said before that when a scientist had placed a tool to test these northern lights they had determined that these northern lights are stronger than the sun, although it's possible to look at it. I'll remind you that at one time I had met with two women who worked on the northern pole and they studied the northern lights. And they, having studied it, said, we had a tool that was directed toward it, and northern lights always showed plus four, plus six, no more. And at this time, one of our co-workers grew quiet. The arrow went plus 500, and the tools began to shake. We grew scared and we turned off the tools. We went outside, and in these northern lights, they saw the face of a person. As they explained, they said it was even written about in the newspaper. As they said, this, this face reminded them of somebody very kind, as if they knew him, and, he, and, they, and, they, and this face said something to them, but they could have understood, and all of a sudden they heard that that which he had said heard the last words according, um, using a tool they had. And this face said, till we meet again. This woman was horrified. I won't share too much, but uh, it was there in that room that they had accepted Christ. I had prayed for both of them because one of them had told me this story. I was driving in a train um, from Batum to Moscow, and they were returning from Batumi to Moscow. They were on vacationing there. And she said, I had faced supernatural um, phenomenon. And she said, my mother, at this time, she was found in the Northern Pole. I was found here. All of a sudden, I began to fall asleep. The door was closed at the hotel where she was. And all of a sudden, the door opened, and I was surprised. I had closed it. How is the door open? I had closed it. And I saw my mother enter. I jumped up from my bed. At that point, I had put on my nightgown, and I said, Mom, 
How are you here right now? You wanted to surprise me, and I thought she wanted to surprise me, and she had secretly hidden this secret from me, and she had also came here to where I was. But she, having not told me anything, she all of a sudden, she turned and she began to leave. I ran after her, thinking that she is going to, uh, to go to her room. She did go to a different room, and I ran in after her, but the room was completely empty. There was no belongings there. In the middle, there was some kind of like a like a lo like a lock a chamber and she entered in and when I wanted to go after her she looked at me and she screamed with a very scary voice don't go after me return back and I was shaken up because from this chamber were some kind of voices some kind of cries and screams moans and groans I was shaken and I noticed I was sitting in my room on my bed with the door closed. But this was so... This felt so real. I thought, I can't write this down or, or tell anybody because someone's going to think I'm crazy. I truly saw my mother. I truly left my room to go after her. What is this? She asked me. I said, your mother screamed out to you to not go after you. She did say, don't go after me. Your mother was a communist. She had, she had um, opposed God. And before her death, she wanted to communicate to you to not go that same path. God had mercy upon you. He gave you the opportunity to hear about Christ. So it is because of this that this great hope that we are talking about upon so if the devil is able to distort the priorities that are contained in the water baptism, this is going to mean that in these people he has achieved his goals and erected a throne in their minds. Because in our spirit, in our sanctuary, in the north stands the golden table of showbread. And if Satan places his throne there, because we're going to think he's Christ, if we don't know the teaching of Jesus Christ, the throne of Satan in a person's mind is the mark of the beast, which is recognized by the way it distorts a person's perception of Christ and his teaching. The throne of Satan is a distorted perception of the teaching of Christ. And the most tragic and unfixable mistake for these people, will, these people will suffer is being cast into the depths of hell with the devil when they assumed they were actually going to be saved. According to the words of Paul, the first dimension of the reigning principles of Christ is the doctrine of baptisms in three interrelated forms that flow out of one another. They are water baptism, baptism in the Holy Spirit, and fire baptism. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Matthew 3.11 this was spoken by John. Here we see the presence of three levels of baptism. First, all three baptisms are one because they describe our relationship with the one Lord and they are perfected through one faith. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verse 5. Second, all three baptisms, even though they have one goal, which is to identify us with the death of Christ, perform different functions. Third, the main function of water baptism is to separate a person from the world which lives in evil. Fourth, the main function of baptism of the Holy Spirit is to separate us from the sinful life of our forefathers. Fifth, the main function of fire baptism is to separate our new man from the old man. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Romans 6, 3. All three baptisms reconcile us with God and make us holy, blameless, and without blemish before God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21-23 through 23. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy, it is present only in this doctrine, and all the rest of the teachings will be the result of this death, and this doctrine, though, is death is present, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. It is in a baptism that God presents us blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. In another place, Romans 5.10, Paul writes, For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Seventh, all three baptisms are different degrees of the seal of righteousness, and they signify our belonging to God. Romans chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6 says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. We are referring to the teaching of baptisms in the Songs of Solomon here, because this seal is placed at the time when we accept baptisms. Set me as a seal upon your heart. God wants us to set him as a seal. All three baptisms deprive, as we said, the one with power over death of his power and save the baptized from the fear and bondage of the second death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. And as much then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had power, who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Nine. All three baptisms have one final goal, final goal, to allow us to walk in a renewed life. Romans 6, 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ Christ was raised, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in a newness of life. Tenth, 
All three baptisms fulfill the role of a winnowing fan to purify us like grain from the chafe and to present us to God as a clean seed ready to be ground into flour. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hands, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will not, but he will will burn up the chafe with unquenchable fire. So in baptisms there is the complete separation of man from sin, from all of that which he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven with. 11. All three baptisms are an act of consecrating oneself as a Nazarene to God. Because baptism is dedication. When a person dedicates himself, this is baptism. He dedicates himself. And if he wants, before baptism, he didn't dedicate himself. If he wants to, he must participate in baptism of one water. And we have talked about how in circumcision there is the symbol of this baptism. When either a man or woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of a Nazarite, to dedicate, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. All the days of the vow of his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body because his separation to God is on his head. So these this who go near, uh, to not go near dead bodies, dead bodies are those who were previously holy, but then died, turned away from the truth. All the days of his separation, he shall be holy to the Lord. Numbers chapter 6, verses 2 through 8. 12. All three baptisms join us with the image of resurrection or make us children of the resurrection. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. Let us now turn immediately to the first baptism called the water baptism. Among the twelve foundations under the walls of the New Jerusalem, the doctrine of the water baptism is signified by the precious jasper stone. Revelation chapter 21 verse 19 says the first foundation was jasper. So when we name, um, when there is a list of the twelve foundations, the first one was jasper, which signifies water baptism. Consequently, every image in scripture related to the jasper stone testifies to the powers and functions of water baptism. Jasper is one of the twelve precious stones on the breastplate of judgment of the high priest, which indicates its unique and fateful significance, without which it would be impossible to enter into the presence of God. The way into the presence of God will be closed to any man who has not immersed himself in the death of Christ through water baptism. Not only that, but it is thanks to the twelve stones on the breastplate of judgment and the jasper stone partially that we are able to hear the voice of God, who will give us revelations concerning himself through water baptism specifically. 
in this specific format because this foundation is called Jasper. Therefore, he is going to give from this foundation. He is going to give us powers that are contained in water baptism. In water baptism, the death of the Lord Jesus shines with the glory of the Jasper stone, which will topple the dominance of the second death. Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. After these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and then and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance but I, right now we're going to focus on jasper only there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald emerald is the the mixing of colors like talking about the northern life where there is the mixing of colors. From this revelation, we can conclude that the Lord Jesus' death in the form of water baptism possesses the glory of the jasper stone, which reveals itself in the might of the throne that exercises its power by demolishing the second death. A person who has not delved into the death of Christ through water baptism and does not abide in it, to him the path to the throne in Jesus Christ will be closed off. As a result, such a per person will remain an eternal prisoner of the second death. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 through 7. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places into Christ Jesus. Then the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In this instance, our resurrection with Christ is the result of our remaining with Christ in his death, in which we were immersed when we were baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ. Water baptism and inheritance of Jasper is meant to join us to the light of the Jerusalem above. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Take a look at what is contained in baptism of water in this foundation. That's why, from this revelation, it follows that a person who does not understand the responsibilities and powers that come with the great mystery of water baptism will not be able to remain in the mystery of this baptism, although he has already accepted it. Second, such a person will never become an organ, organic part of the heavenly Jerusalem. Third, such a person will never be a light to this world, able to give some sight and make others blind. And John chapter 9, verses 39 to 41 says, Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see. Therefore your sin remains. This is for those who acknowledge the path of the Lord, the twelve teachings. They see, but they have 
turned away from it because the Pharisees were against Christ, they were not with him. He says, yes, you're not blind, you see. Therefore, the sin remains upon you. If you were blind, then there would not be any sin. Then you could have been turned to the ancient path of goodness, but you see, therefore you can be renewed with repentance. You knew what these teachings were. Water baptism and inheritance of Jasper is meant to make us into a wall of a great city in the eyes of God. Revelation chapter 21 verse 18. The construction of its wall was of jasper and the city was of pure gold, like clear glass. Interesting, right? Interesting how scripture says there will be 12 foundations. The construction of its wall was of jasper. The construction foundation is laid first of jasper and stone. There is a foundation and then 12 walls. These will be different precious stones. The first stone, the foundation, was jasper, and the wall itself was made of jasper stone. In scripture, jasper walls, like clear glass, represent the ability to attain the perfection inherent to God with the powers contained in water baptism. This means to be a light for the righteous. We know that a wall in scripture is an image of perfection. And this perfection, this wall, is called to be a light for the righteous and the unrighteous and to be a cloud raining on the righteous and the unrighteous. As we have said, Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. For he sends his son on the just, on the just, and his rain on the just, on the unjust. So how does he pour it out? Job chapter 37, verses 11 13. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds. He scatters his bright clouds, and they swirl about being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them on the face of the whole earth. He causes it to come, whether for correction, or for his land, or for mercy. Whereas people who do not know the teaching of Jesus Christ, they teach to love everyone on the basis of this place of Scripture. They say, see, God gives light to everyone and God gives rain to everyone. But they don't know that this light has mercy upon some and has carries punishment for others. That this rain carries mercy for some and punishment for others. You must be this kind of light and this kind of rain. This is what a wall means. This is is what perfection means when people understand that we must be very careful. We must be careful in loving everyone and blessing everyone because God does not love everyone. He loves only His children, so that you know. And He came only for His children. It's written that Jesus had given Himself up for His church by washing her with the bathing of water through the Word. Pay attention for His church that He has taken from the world. Therefore, when John writes, God, for God so loved the world, but He loved those people who believed in Him. This was an incorrect translation that was issued. Furthermore, the perfection of Jasper is meant to allow us to become fertilized with the seed of the gospel word of the kingdom of heaven. 
so that by means of the Jasper found in light and rain we can practice and infirm not our judgments, but the just and perfect judgments of God. Psalms of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. We have a little sister, and she has no breast. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build upon her a battlement of silver. Silver represents salvation. This is a symbol of death in the spilled blood of Christ. If she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. To enter into the kingdom of heaven can be done only through righteousness, and cedar is an image of righteousness. I am a wall and my breast like towers, then I became in his eyes as one who found peace. Only this one will receive salvation. She who had found fullness, because her egg cell is able to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. When a person is an infant, you can say as much as you want to him about the kingdom of heaven. His egg cell is unable to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom of heaven. That's why he is an infant. That's why he doesn't understand spiritual things and he calls them foolish. That's why he's going to run around after everyone, and that's why it's easy to deceive him. But if an infant knows his mother and his father, he's not going to be lied to. Furthermore, water baptism and the inheritance of Jasper is meant to join us to the honor contained in the name of the guard which is engraved in the first foundation of the wall of the new Jerusalem. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Therefore, in order to have a more perfect knowledge of water baptism which is the first foundation in the wall of the new Jerusalem named Jasper, you must still Study the name of the guard engraved in the first foundation made of jasper, out of which the others grow as from a root. It is because the guard of the first foundation held a prime responsibility, not only for the first foundation, but also for all the other guards whose names were engraved in the remaining foundations, and who were responsible for these other foundations. And the name of this guard, who holds the honor of an apostle, is Simon, who is called Peter, which means stone. Matthew 10.2, now the names of the twelve apostles are these, first Simon, who is called Peter. The first foundation. It is this apostle whom God commissioned to shepherd his flock, or more exactly, made the head of his apostles. He carried a responsibility not just for the first foundation and water baptism, but for all of those who are presented the other foundations. John 21:15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah. Interesting, he calls him, we're going to, um, he rarely did he call apostles by the name of their fathers. Here, he takes two names, Simon, son of Jonah. Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And we know that this degree to feed his lambs, Christ raised the third degree because he declared it three times in the presence of the other apostles. 
Peter's old name was Simon until one event when two of John the Baptist's disciples, one of whom was Andrew, the brother of Simon, upon hearing John's words that Jesus, whom their teacher John baptized before their eyes, was the Lamb of God, the Messiah. They left John the Baptist and immediately followed Jesus and asked to stay as his guest. They said, Teacher, where do you live? Could you invite us over? We'd like to be with you. Jesus welcomed them into his home and showed them hospitality. After such an intimate encounter with Jesus, Andrew finds his brother Simon and gives him the good news, saying, We found the Messiah, that is Christ, and introduces him to Jesus. He says, I knew him. I was in his home. Let me go and introduce you. Peter goes with him. So Andrew uh, leads him into the house of Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You have two names, but you shall be called Cephas, which is translated as stone, John 1.42. So in the original, says, you will also be called Cephas. This did not uh, abolish the first two names, but it added a third name to him. In ancient times, people understood that a person's name could determine his fate. Therefore, they chose names carefully because they invested these names with their goals and desires. A person's name is an honor containing the person's status and his place, that is, his purpose and his calling. Considering this, if a person or an angel left the position where God placed them, then they lost their name along with that position. Therefore, when God writes a person's name in the book of life, then as a rule, he gives them a new name, in which is hidden their calling in the place of their sanctification known as the throne of glory. The new name, might I add, is written during water baptism. And there where they can be sanctified, this place is called the throne of glory, I repeat. Jeremiah chapter 17, 12, A glorious high throne from the beginning is a place of our sanctuary. Based on this definition, a person cannot sanctify themselves and build an altar to the Lord in a place where God has not erected a memorial to His name. The fact that the place of sanctification is the throne of glory, made high from the beginning, point to the reigning principles of Christ's teaching, in which God reveals the order of His legislation. Therefore, if people are unhappy with the place where God, through His watchmen, put them in the body of Christ and leave it of their own volition, then they lose their calling and their name. Such lawlessness in the eyes of God is a grievous crime for which God erases their names from the book of life forever and gives them another name that agrees with their treacherous departure from his order which he writes in the earth. He writes in the earth and not the book of life. 
O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from you shall be written in the earth, because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 13. In Israel, those who honored God were well acquainted with this law, which was active in a person's name and decided their fate. Therefore, names were given special attention. The calling Simon received in the name given to him by his father was hearing. Simon means to hear, to be a pillar in the house of God, able to be fertilized by the seed of the kingdom, while the name Jonah means dove. So he who gave them the name, the father, Jonah, means dove. When Jesus met Simon, the son of Jonah, he did not replace his name, but expanded it and increased his inheritance with the name Cephas, meaning Petra or Peter. We know that the dove personified the simplicity natural to the Holy Spirit. We also know that when we resist the wicked, when they attack us with their vulpine natures, we need to use the weapon of simplicity and not with that weapon that they use against us. This means that the person of the Holy Spirit dwelling in the teaching of water baptism out of which the kingdom of heaven will grow in a person as if out of a root. It is the Holy Spirit who creates the power and atmosphere of the kingdom of heaven which consists of righteousness, peace and joy existing in His divine bosom. For all of this occurs in the Spirit. Let's read Romans chapter 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. This is in the Holy Spirit. Therefore, as a foundation of the throne, or as a foundation of the wall, is found the name Simon, the son of Jonah. Yes, two names, Simon, son of Jonah. There is the Holy Spirit. The virtue and qualities of the Holy Spirit's simplicity inhere in the natures of infants who love their parents without envy and who, although they become angry and cry in response to pain or cruelty, are incapable of resentment and judging those who hurt them. Because of this, they are heirs to the kingdom of heaven. And without accepting the Holy Spirit, it is impossible to be baptized in water. Without acceptance of the Holy Spirit, baptism of water is impossible. When we come to the teaching of baptism of the Holy Spirit, we will cite a passage of Scripture telling us that baptism in the Holy Spirit always means accepting the Holy Spirit, but accepting the Holy Spirit does not always mean being baptized in the Holy Spirit. As far as we know, Eleazar, the steward of Abraham's house, who foreshadowed the Holy Spirit, was welcomed into the home of Rebekah's parents and her brother Laban, but only Rebekah accepted baptism by leaving her people and her household. All had accepted the gift, but baptism was only participated in by Rebecca. Consequently, if we want to become part of the bride, it is not enough for us to be baptized in water. We must live through the next stage of death, which is baptism in the Holy Spirit. But returning to water baptism, which is impossible without accepting the Holy Spirit, only those people who have delved into the death of Christ through water baptism will have the opportunity to grow within themselves the simplicity of Christ with the aid of the Holy Spirit whom they have accepted.
not having accepted baptism but the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 16 verses 19 For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. So the disciples had accepted the Holy Spirit before the acceptance of the Holy Spirit. Before baptism in the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit they received after his death on the 50th day. Before his death, Jesus' death, they had the Holy Spirit. What's interesting is that simplicity, this term simplicity in Scripture means pure, innocent, undamaged, true, honest, genuine, meek, peace-loving, blameless, virgin, not wrathful, not guilty, sterling, healthy, whole, without impurities found in gold and silver, without impurities found in wine. This is how the word simplicity is translated. This is who the Holy Spirit is. When we go on to the next characteristics found in the name of the guardian grave in the first foundation which he inherited from the name of his father Jonah, which is Simon, we will see that in the doctrine of water baptism we find not only the quality of simplicity, but the ability to hear what the Spirit says to the churches because his name was Simon. Because the name Simon, which the virtuous Jonah gave to his son, means hearing. This was a very deep Christian Israelite. To hear the gospel word of the kingdom in our hearts, our hearts must be simple, which is impossible without accepting the Holy Spirit who has this quality of simplicity. That is why when Jesus saw a person with the attributes and qualities of a name such as Jonah and Simon, he asked, he said to him, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas. Cephas means Petra, or living rock, cornerstone of life. Take a look, Petra, we see, but in the original, Peter is a female name, uh, not a male name. When he said, you are Peter, he says, you are Petra, you are the living rock the cornerstone of life. In giving this name to Simon, the son of Jonah, Jesus delegated his own name to him because Jesus is the cornerstone. He delegated his name to him and therefore he gave a calling to Simon, the son of Jonah, and to those under his authority. For he had left and now the chief cornerstone are the watchmen. He had delegated to them. Let us read this place in Scripture again. John chapter 20, verses 21 through 23. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Apostle Paul says the church is built on the chief cornerstone and on the apostles to whom God has delegated this name. He had delegated this name to actually each one of us having a partaking to the watchmen we are going to have this chief cornerstone in order to build in ourselves a sanctuary we must have this chief cornerstone we must have this name we must have baptism in water so that we understand its powers therefore the name Cephas written on the first foundation of the new Jerusalem Jesus opened yet one more veil hiding the mystery of water baptism on which he built his church in the gates of hell 
in the form of the flesh, the wicked, the world, and demons, will not overcome this foundation in his church. Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so we have talked about a part of this strong, mighty teaching. The next part, if God gives us the opportunity, we are going to study on Sunday. This is not all. We have simply just looked at what Jasper is, baptism of water, what is the name on this foundation, and then we're going to look at the specific properties of baptism of water. And for now, let's bow our heads and bend our knees and thank God that he's made us partakers to this great foundation, not just this foundation, but all foundations of New Jerusalem, and has given us the opportunity to be be this, this stone. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we are grateful that you again and again reveal to us the mystery of your teaching, the mystery of your death, out of which grow all of the rest of the foundations. May your people be blessed in the achievement of this promise. Let your inheritance be fertilized by the seed of this word. Allow us not just to hear, but to become these silence. Allow us to hear with our heart your word and to be fertilized by the seed. Let this kingdom grow, this great and mighty kingdom grow into a spiritual dwelling. Let your name be blessed. Let your Holy Spirit be blessed, without which we would be unable to grow, without which we would be unable to be immersed in the death of Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, whom we have been able to accept before we made with you a covenant. Blessed are you and blessed is your mercy for your people and the Holy Spirit. Blessed is your Holy Spirit among your people. We thank you and we bow down before you. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the hand of the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And let us all proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God, our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.